sin. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's high. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And let's turn to 399. He took my sins away, 399. Let's sing it out tonight. I came to Jesus, weary, worn, and sad. He took my sins away, he took my sins away. And now his love has made my heart so glad. He took my sins away. He took my sins away, he took my sins away. And keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away, he took my sins away. The load of sin was more than I could bear, he took them all away, he took them all away. And now on him I roam my every care, he took my sins away. He took my sins away, he took my sins away, and keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away, he took my sins away. No condemnation have I in my heart. He took my sins away, he took my sins away. His perfect peace he did to me impart. He took my sins away. He took my sins away, he took my sins away. And keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away. He took my sins away on that last 
If you will come to Jesus Christ today, he'll take your sins away, he'll take your sins away, and keep you happy in his love each day. He'll take your sins away. He took my sins away, he took my sins away, and keeps me singing every day. I'm so glad he took my sins away, he took my sins away. And over just a few pages, 418, if you want the victory, the victory is in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is a victory, 418, let's sing it out tonight. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies against the failing foot. Let all our strength be heard. Faith is a victory we know that overcomes the world. Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. Whose manner over us is love, our sword, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above, with shouts of triumph trod. By faith they like a whirlwind's breath swept on o'er every field. The faith by which they conquer death. Is still our shining shield. Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. On every hand the foe we find drawn up in dread array. Let tents of these be left behind and onward to the fray. Salvation's helm and horn, each head of truth all gird about. The earth shall tremble neath our tread and echo with our shout. Faith is a victory, faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. To him that overcomes and shall be given. Before the angels he shall know his name confessed in heaven. Then onward from the hills of light our hearts with love aflame. We'll vanquish all the hosts of night in Jesus' conquering name. Faith is a victory, faith is a victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for being able to assemble here together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the beautiful treasures that are in it. We ask that you would take this time and help us as we continue our study of the book of Hebrews. Lord, I pray that I would not be too tedious, but careful enough to bring forth those truths that you would have us to learn. We pray, Lord, that you would change us that we may be better servants of you. We ask that you would work in each heart and life here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just want to remind you, Saturday will be the children's program, the special. We do this just several times a year. Brother uh, Shaw is actually heading it up, but uh, 
several of our people are helping out and several people from the Spanish language church are doing the same and so uh, we'll be uh, doing that from 3 to 5 on Saturday afternoon so we won't have our regular visitation and our regular uh, men's prayer meeting as we normally do. Uh, would ask you to keep Brother Lucas and I in prayer. Uh, we, we're going to need it the next two days. We're going to be trying to refinish the floors in the place that he is renting in Brooklyn to start uh, a Russian language church there. And so please keep that in prayer. And uh, if everything goes just right, uh, we'll have it all done Saturday afternoon. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, we're going to have problems. So just, just pray for us, if you would, that uh, we could get this thing all finished uh, Saturday afternoon before the sun goes down. That would really be good. That way give us enough time to get back here to Queens and, uh, and get everything ready that needs to be. And pray for the children's meeting as well. Uh, I think the last time we had, uh, I know uh, I get several reports from things like that from my kids, and they had a great time. And so uh, pray about that. If you know any children, 4 to 12, uh, invite them out for that time. It'll be uh, fun, and, and yet the gospel is going to be presented. It's going to be a good time uh, for them. So just encourage you to do that. Um, we're going to be getting some new tracks here in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Uh, there's a uh, church that has a ministry printing tracks, and uh, for fairly inexpensive price, uh, we ordered some today, several thousand, and uh, we'll see how quickly we go through those things. They're four colors, and so they ought to be pretty. It's something nice to hand out, and uh, we'll try those things uh, out, and uh, so just pray that we can get those quickly as we are running out of the regular things uh, and the extra supplies and uh, I found two stacks in the van the, uh, the other day and uh, thank you for praying. We had a very good meeting in Syracuse uh, on uh, Monday night and all day Tuesday and uh, we were able to uh, be of a blessing to several churches. Uh, it's a church planters meeting and we had uh, several men there that presented needs of various kinds and uh, I like meetings where we do something. I love the preaching. We had several preachers, and I had the opportunity to speak at the meeting. But uh, we, uh, let me see here. Let me just run a few numbers in my head. It was about twelve or $1,400 we distributed to uh, six different pastors and works. And uh, so that's... Uh, not a tremendous amount, but it is something. And that was money that was collected from different churches over the period of the year. They send uh, that in. And uh, our church, I have the privilege of being the treasurer for the group. And so we uh, able to have just a little part in helping other churches and works get started in New York State and surrounding areas. And uh, so uh, that's good things. Let's sing one more song and then we'll get into our Bible study tonight. 317. What a friend we have in Jesus. 317. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. <clears throat> 
What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. On that last are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise for safety, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee, thou wilt find a solace there. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. And uh, if you would, just keep Bob Neblett in prayer. Uh, he is, uh, the reason he's not here tonight is he is uh, prepping for some uh, fairly extensive medical tests that are going to be going on tomorrow. So just pray for Bob and his health. He's got several, several different things going on there. And um, he needs our prayers. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, and let's just start reading in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Now, uh, we spent the vast majority of our time last week on just the end of verse 1, and I just want to put this in proper grammatical context here so we don't lose sight because we're, we're not going to finish the first sentence of this chapter, I don't believe, tonight. But in verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. The, the first five chapters here, we have gone over the revelation that God has given us. The greatest revelation is that of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We end chapter 4 with our faithful high priest that we are to come to. And chapter 5 is about the high priest. And the office and the uh, attributes of that person... We end chapter 5 with this warning that as a saved individual, God saved you to grow. He did not save you to be a perpetual spiritual baby. Amen? Uh, it is a wonderful thing when a baby is born. Amen? But if you have a 45-year-old son that still needs a bottle every two hours, you got problems. Amen? Uh, I mean, there is some trouble in that house. Something didn't go right. And uh, the warning is, hey, we need to exercise. We need to use what God has given us. And 
strengthen and be strengthened, strengthen ourselves and be strengthened in the faith because we cannot spend our entire experience with God just on salvation. This is the way you know the difference between a false religion and a true religion. A false religion, getting to heaven is the goal. Being, uh, well, some religions say you can become God. Um, but whatever that goal is, getting to heaven or becoming God, if that is the end of your religion, if that is the end goal, that is not from the Bible. Because salvation is being born again. It is the beginning of life. And as we spent our time last Thursday night, we got into two things here. He says, we want to go on unto perfection. And again, that word perfection is not sinless perfection as uh, people would think. It just means complete growth. It means lacking nothing spiritually. Uh, this, these words were translated into English before lawyers. Amen. And, and of course, there's nothing perfect today now, is there? But the word simply means complete. If you are here tonight and you are growing up, the idea is you have reached the perfection of maturity when all your parts are there, you have grown to your full height. Uh, we, have to, we won't talk about girth. And uh, we'll just, uh, as you are growing, you have reached perfection when everything's there. You're not going to get any bigger unless you overeat or do bad things. And uh, that is simply what the word perfection here is. And verse 3 ties in with that phrase, and this will we do, excuse me, and this will we do if God permit. This is the direction we're going in. But here's some things that going on unto perfection is not. Number one, it is not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. You do that one time when you get saved. The foundation is laid, which is Jesus Christ, because he is the one that paid the price for all of our sins. And when we get down here to... To verse 6, we're going to find out that there are those people who crucified to themselves afresh the Lord Jesus Christ and put him to an open shame. They cannot do that physically. They do that to themselves. That is what is going on in their own heart and mind because they have never truly accepted the first finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. One of the questions I like to ask people, Jesus just before he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my, my spirit, said the three greatest words in all of history. It is finished. Now, if he did not finish the work of paying for sin, then those words were absolutely meaningless, are they not? If there is still something left for you to do, then what did Jesus finish? He finished the entire work of salvation and there are people here, the writer of Hebrews is warning us 
that we cannot spend our lives going back and relaying over and over and over again this foundation of repentance from dead works. And this phrase goes on. It's attached to the next one right there. And we could actually say, not laying again the foundation of faith toward God. You do that one time. Faith is believing God's word to the point of action. And there are many people who struggle with this thing of salvation. And, and I've, I've dealt with many people over the years, and, and one of the most often said things is, well, I'm not sure I really meant it when I prayed. And I like to ask the same question I asked myself. What does really mean it mean? Could you define that for me? How much do you really have to mean it before you really mean it? It is a totally subjective phrase. You are taking the truths of this word, of this book called the Bible, and making them subject to your own emotions. And when you feel good about it, you feel saved. And when you feel bad about it, you don't feel saved. Anybody ever do that? We've got to get past that if we're going to go on and grow spiritually. We cannot continually. And, and there are churches that teach it. You lose your salvation and you've got to go get it again. The Bible says, no, that's not the way that it works. Then we come to the next phrase where we're going to start new tonight of the doctrine of baptisms. We are not laying again the foundation of the doctrine of baptisms. Now, there is a lot of misunderstanding about the doctrine of baptism. There is a lot of false teaching. There are entire religions that are built upon the doctrine of baptism. I challenge you, where would the Protestant churches be today without the doctrine of of the baptism, or well, they call it baptism. It's actually, if you take the Greek word baptize, means to immerse. Uh, the only church that I know of that immerses babies are the, is the Orthodox Church. They grab the back of the neck and the nose, and they take that little baby, and they put that baby all the way under the water because it's a Byzantine manuscript. They are, their history goes back through the Greek church and they know what the word baptize means. Now, you come up into medieval Europe. Now, this is how crazy people are. In medieval Europe, they believed that if you took a bath in the wintertime, that it would kill you. They literally sewed themselves into their clothes about the middle of October, 1st of November, and they didn't cut themselves out until the spring thaw in late April or early May. I'm glad I didn't live in medieval Europe. How about you? I mean, Mitchum won't do you any good after three months, Amen. Uh, I mean, come on. But this is what they believed, and they brought their belief into their religion, and they said, if 
if we baptize a baby in the wintertime, that baby's going to die. And so they went through and they said, Jesus lived in a temperate land of Palestine where it never got cold. By the way, it's the land of Israel. But they still put it all in those books, the land of Palestine. And because it gets cold here, we can substitute the mode of baptism to sprinkling because God understands. Now, is that what the Bible says? I mean, it doesn't take somebody with an entire huge amount of brains to know that you could take a tub of water and warm it up and baptize somebody inside. Amen? In fact, that's the way most churches do it today. Because if we baptized you in the East River, there would be all kinds of other things that we would have to worry about. Uh, diseases and uh, all kinds of pathogens floating around you. So we use nice, clean water and we heat it up. But what we're going to do is, what is happening here is people, even at the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, were reading other things into their baptism that God never intended. They have fought wars. They have raised towns. They have slaughtered people by the thousands in history over this doctrine of baptism. It is absolutely amazing what people who claim to be Christians have done to other people who claim to be Christians all about this issue called baptism. They have taken little children out of homes and murdered their parents because their parents would not bring that baby to be baptized. Now, I challenge you, you look through the scriptures, and this is maybe controversial in some, some areas, but it, it's not here because you look through your Bible, you will never ever see one baby baptized in the scriptures. It has never happened in the Bible. And yet, they've done all these things. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Let's, uh, if you want to study something in the Bible, find the first place it's mentioned. And the first place the baptism is mentioned is in Matthew chapter 3. And God has a way of explaining things. Verse 1, Matthew chapter 3, In those days came John the Presbyterian. I love to do that. He wasn't the Presbyterian, amen. He wasn't John the Sprinkler. The Greek word for sprinkling is rantize, rantizo. So he wasn't a rantizer, he was a baptizer. That means you go under the water, amen. And it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we come down to verse 6. Well, let's, let's just read the whole thing. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins and his meat, was locust and wild honey. 
then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, we look at this passage here and this describes to us what John the Baptist did. John was a rather unusual man. There weren't too many people that came over to John's house at mealtime. Grasshoppers and wild honey. Now, I have heard from people that have tried this that it's not so bad. I just praise God I've never been that hungry and I hope I never get that hungry to try grasshoppers. Uh, but that's what a locust is, basically. And John ate those things for dinner. You know why? Because there were a lot of them in the desert place. And the desert is not sand and rock like we think of. It was just a place where there was no people living. And uh, so as John was preaching, people came to him. His appearance was that of a wild man. He had a camel hair coat, a leather belt wrapped around his loins. Uh, from our understanding, John probably never cut his hair, ever. He was like a Nazarite from the time he was born. He lived in the desert all his adult life from the time he was a teenager. His ministry lasted about six months from his first message till he was thrown in prison. He spent... Uh, a period of time, maybe upwards of a year in prison, and then he was uh, beheaded, and that is the end of this person called John the Baptist. But we have John coming in, and it tells us that all these people went out to Jordan and were baptized of him. Now, we've got some scholars and things that go around trying to say that John's baptism was nothing but a reiteration of the cleansing rites of the Old Testament Jewish religion. And if we look into the Jewish religion, we find that they had many things where you had to be baptized, or literally in the Jewish religion, it was taking a bath. Uh, if you were unclean, you had to take a bath. If you attended a funeral, if you helped prepare the body for burying, you had to take a bath. If uh, you were sick, if you had a running open sore, an infection of any kind, you had to take a bath after that was over. If you did not uh, cleanse yourself with the water of separation, which was sprinkled on you, and then take a bath, you were, not, you were cut off from Israel. They had, that was one of the things that kept the Jewish people alive in the Middle Ages as the plague ravaged through um, uh, medieval Europe. They took baths. They washed the fleas off of them before they had a chance to bite them and, and transfer the disease. And uh, many and see, that was back before the days when all these things were understood. They were just trying to keep the Old Testament law and those traditions and those things that God gave them that's written down in the law. And by the way, it's good stuff. It'll, that's why we in America, I mean, we're the cleanest people on the face of the earth. We wash our skin off. Uh, we scrub all the time. I mean, we have disinfectants, and you can carry that stuff in your pocket just in case you can't get water, and you can disinfect yourself uh, thoroughly. And, 
And uh, if you ride the subways, you need to do that. Uh, but here is, is what we're talking about here, is this thing called baptism is different. Because in the Jewish tradition, you had to go out and get yourself clean. Here, you came to John and he did the baptizing. That's different, isn't it? It wasn't something you did to yourself. It was something that was done to you. And we come down here to verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Now, if you've got a little map in your Bible, you can look up the distance there. It's roughly 60 miles. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, God the Son, according to our scriptures, walked 60 miles on this earth to go and to the place where John was and to be baptized by him. I don't know how many times I read that verse over until it grabbed a hold. Hey, it's important who does the baptizing. Grandma Gertrude cannot baptize you in the bathtub or in the swimming pool out back and call it baptism. I don't care how spiritual Grandma Gertrude was, or even if you have a Grandma Gertrude, it doesn't work. Amen? Uh, Jesus came to John. Now, why did Jesus come to John? Jesus certainly was greater authority. John gave testimony, and, and we'll go up to those verses in just a minute, that he wasn't even worthy to carry Jesus' shoes. So why would Jesus come to him? John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John chapter 1, verse 6. If you're going to have scriptural Bible baptism, you've got to have a scriptural biblical authority. John was the man that instituted baptism. God used him to start this thing. It was brand new. It was not a continuation of any other thing. It was not an adaptation of old Jewish rituals. It was something brand new. And the people came out. These were Jewish people. They were used to having to take baths and having to be sprinkled with the water of separation and all of these other things. that were. This was part of their living every day. But when they heard John preach, they got baptized by John in the Jordan River. And I've had people say and read in books, well, the Jordan River is just a muddy little creek. There is absolutely no way that John could have fully immersed people in the Jordan River. Well, number one, Mr. Smarty Pants, uh, a lot has changed geographically in the last thou uh, almost 2,000 years. Uh, you just look at the charts of New York Harbor for the last 300 years. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's land today that used to be water. People built piers and they filled it in with trash. And I mean, they, they increased lower Manhattan by half its space just by filling in the ocean and pushing it back with garbage. Silt runs down the river. It changes things. And by the way, there are many places where the Jordan River today runs 12 and 15 feet deep. If you're so big you can't be baptized in 12 foot of water, uh, we've got other problems. Amen? Uh, that, that's... 
It's amazing all of the straws people grasp at to try to read something into this thing called baptism. The word means to put under, to put into, to fully cover. You can look it up in any dictionary. Any Greek uh, will read that. Uh, what our translators of the King James Bible did was they just took the word and brought it into the English language. There was a reason why they did that. The Church of England, for the most part, believed that baptism was sprinkling babies. There was much controversy in the land of England at that time. In fact, we were just two or three monarchs removed from Bloody Mary in the time of uh, great persecution. The last martyr who was put to death in England was for their faith in Christ. Do you know what the issue was? The baptism of babies. The year was 1612. They took that man and they strapped him to a stake and they burned him to death as a heretic because he refused to recant his preaching of baptism after you've expressed faith in God. That's history. Our translators did not want truth to be covered over. And by the way, baptism is not just getting wet all over. It is not just immersion. It is an ordinance that is written out and must be carried out step by step as the Bible teaches us or it's not baptism. And so they brought that new word into the English language so that anyone who wanted to know the truth could know the truth. Just look it up. And so as we come here to... To Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Now, John, in verse 14, tries to mess everything up, doesn't he? Look what it says. But John forbade him. It's the old English word for forbid. John said, Look what it says here saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? He said, Jesus, I want you to baptize me. I don't want to baptize you. Now, why would John say that? Number one rule of understanding your Bible. The Bible always explains the Bible. We're not going to go through the whole little spiel that we do, but if you want to understand the Bible, you study the Bible not somebody else's book, because it's not helpful. Read what the Bible says. Go back. We go back to verse 11, and here we have John explaining baptism. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, if you've ever listened to the radio or television preachers, 
you're going to hear one of them say, you need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Uh, I challenge you, that's not possible. You can't have both. It's a one or the other deal. Here's why. Look at the next verse. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather the wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, this is a picture that every person that John was speaking to immediately knew what was going on because they had done it. The threshing of wheat or of oats or of the grains that were grown there in the area was what he was talking about. Uh, how many of you have ever seen a picture of the golden fields of grain and the waves in the wind? And if you got a head on that grain, it'll be, you know, two, three, four inches long, and it'll have all these little bumps and little spikes sticking out from them. Well, those little bumps are the kernels. That's the wheat. The little spikes are what's left over of the seven layers of wrapping. I, I read that in a health food book somewhere. You've got seven layers of, of wrapper around each kernel of wheat. Now, could you imagine how long it would take you to pick off every head and rub that out and separate that by hand? Uh, it's impossible. Next time you think about it, ladies, how much flour does it take to make a loaf of bread? You get about two and a half loaves of bread out of a five-pound bag of flour, right? Does that sound about reasonable? Little loaves. But it takes like a great big bag of wheat to be ground into powder to make your five-pound bag of flour. Now you've got a problem on your hands now, don't you? You've got to thresh enough wheat that you can eat all winter long. And so the way they did it was they would have the threshing floor. It would be a big piece of stone or uh, that would be... Uh, smooth down, and they would put the they would bring the sheaves of the wheat. They would cut the heads off onto the threshing floor, and depending on what it was, they would drag rakes or some type of thing over there, and it would take and it would just literally remove all the chaff. Now you had a mess. You had all those ch all that chaff and all the wheat in one big pile. So then they would purge the floor, clean it up. They get the fanners to start fanning. And they would take a shovel-like instrument and throw the wheat into the air. The fan would catch the chaff, which is weightless, blow it to the end of the threshing floor. And the wheat, when the floor was thoroughly purged, would be a nice heap right in the middle of the floor. Now, you could do hundreds of pounds of wheat at one time on the threshing floor. Uh, nobody had to starve to death. And this was the picture that God was going to use baptism the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of fire to sift the people of the earth and that he was going to gather the wheat into the garner, baptism of the Holy Spirit, salvation, and that he was going to gather the chaff up and burn up with unquenchable fire, Revelation chapter 20. The only place you can be baptized with fire is the lake of fire. And Jesus is the only one who can give salvation or damnation. He is the only one. 
Now, what has happened over the years is people have confused the work of Jesus Christ with the ordinance of the church called baptism. And so they believe that they can give you salvation or take away your salvation by getting you wet. It has nothing to do with what the Scripture teaches. And so Jesus, John is saying, listen, I want that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, not now. Look at verse 15. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. He said, if I'm going to be totally obedient to God, you've got to baptize me right now, and don't worry about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is coming. And it did. And it is. And so John said, Okay, I trust you. He suffered him. He baptized Jesus. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Can't do that out of a cup of water, by the way. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. One of the few times in scriptures we have the physical manifestation, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. God approved of what John did to Jesus. That's what baptism is. You come to the proper authority. You've got to have a proper candidate. You read the references we have. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says, They that gladly received the word, salvation, were baptized. Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian eunuch said, Here's a lot of water. What doth hinder me now to be baptized? If thou believest, thou mayest. Acts chapter 10. They spoke in tongues. Peter said, What? We cannot forbid these people to be baptized who have already showed that they have the Holy Spirit. That's why God gave this thing called speaking in tongues. That's why it's not enforced today. Because the, everything that needs to be proved already has been. And so we don't need to go back and reprove what has already been proved through the Word of God. Because that's not faith. Faith is believing what's written down. Amen? And so that's what baptism is. It's the proper authority, a safe candidate, immersion in water, and by the way, the proper authority today is Bible-believing church. Jesus commissioned his disciples to baptize, Matthew chapter 28. That's why we do not accept baptism from any church or any organization or any group or any person that is not like faith and practice because we believe this book called the Bible. And we don't believe that you have the opportunity to change it or to update it or to fit it or to refit it or anything. We just want what the Bible says. Romans chapter 6. Let's just go there very quickly here. And one of the ways that you can know you understand the Bible correctly is one, what you believe fits the rest of the passages in the Bible. 
if you believe something about the Bible and then you find out that your belief is contradictory when you insert it in another passage talking about the same thing, then you know you got problems. You have to compare Scripture with Scripture and go through, and we come here to Romans chapter 6, and what we're going to do is we're going to take our very same thing here that we just got out of Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to see if it fits in, Ma in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 3 is a pivotal verse. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, I want to ask you a question. When was the old man crucified with Christ? Did that not happen the moment you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior? You see, there is a religion, it's called the Church of Christ or Disciples of Christ, that believe that you cannot be completely saved until you mix with your faith and belief in the Bible the waters of the baptistry. You say, well, where in the world did that come from? It came from a guy named Alexander Campbell. Believe it or not, he was kicked out of a good Baptist church because he was a heretic. He, he was a man who came up with his own doctrine. In fact, he started his own church. They used to be called Campbellites. Now they're called Church of Christ or Disciples of Christ. And if you're driving through town and you see a little sign that says Disciples of Christ Church or Church of Christ, that's the organization they will belong to unless it's just some Looney Tunes that decided to pick somebody else's name and pretend that it's his. But that is the general identification. And it comes from this misunderstanding that somehow by getting wet in the waters of the baptistry that you are imparted some special grace. Uh, we have some Baptist brethren who believe that uh, unless you're baptized in a Baptist church, that when you get to heaven, you're going to be a second-class Christian. Now, that would be very good uh, for us Baptists if we really believe that, but the only problem is I can't find it in the Bible. Because the baptism that is in the Bible is salvation, Amen. And Jesus is the only one that gives it, and I'm not a priest. I can't impart to you some special grace by dipping you in water. What I do is exactly what John the Baptist did, is give you an opportunity to give public testimony to what the Holy Spirit has already done in your life. He says, I baptize you with water unto repentance. He said, you are giving public testimony that you have repented on the inside by going through the waters of the baptism on the outside. Now, if you're reading anything into baptism other than this, you're part of a false religion. It's, it doesn't work. It's not biblical. 
And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, listen, we're not going to go back again and sit here and argue about baptism. I've met preachers that wanted to argue about their baptismal genealogy because they were baptized by Dr. So-and-so who was baptized by Dr. So-and-so. And I met one guy. He had it traced the whole way back to John the Baptist. There's only one problem. He believed that Jesus only died for those people who get saved, not for the whole world. Now, that doctrine, I know where it came from. It came from a guy named John Calvin in the 1500s. It didn't come from the Bible. And so how in the world does his baptismal genealogy do him one bit of good if he doesn't hold true Bible doctrine? Guess what? Doesn't work. We're not laying again the foundation of baptisms. You're no purer because you were baptized by so-and-so who was baptized by so-and-so. Hey, let me tell you, you've got to be baptized in a church that preaches the truth or it's not baptism. Our church was started out of the Cleveland Baptist Church. Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio, preaches the truth. Amen? We don't need to go any further back than that. And I'm praying for the day when God will allow us to ordain someone and send them out just like I was sent out and we're going to send somebody out to start their own church. And guess what? They're not going to go any farther back than one generation. They don't need to go the whole way back to Cleveland and say, well, we're a grandbaby church. That, that proves we're right. No. There's only one thing that proves you're right. That's compare what you preach and what you live to the words of this book. That's the only thing that gives you authority. You've got to do it God's way. Somebody said, well, I don't, I don't need a church. I can go out and start my own church as long as I teach everything the Bible says. Well, here's the only problem. Look what they did in the book of Acts. Paul was sent out by a church. The apostles were sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ. The church in Jerusalem sent people to Antioch to start churches. The apostle Paul started churches. Timothy started churches. They started churches. They didn't go into town and have Bible studies. They didn't go into town and, and have little meetings and things. They started churches. There's something about a church that is unique in history. It's its own thing. And, and we believe that the church is directly responsible to Jesus Christ. Our church, Open Door Bible Baptist, is responsible directly to the Lord Jesus Christ for what we do and what goes on in this church. Somebody said, where's your world headquarters? Well, that's my office right there. I, I guess that's about as close as we come. Amen? You're just being smart out. Yes, I am. Because I'm so tired of all these people thinking they have something because they can look at some man or some group of men that run their church. It's time for us to understand we can look at one man who runs our church and it's not me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We strive together to serve Him. Amen? And baptism, all it does, it is the first step of obedience. It's your public testimony of the work that has already happened and been completed. You cannot be baptized biblically until you give testimony that you're already saved and as sure of heaven if you were already there. 
if you read anything else into baptism, what Paul is doing is he is giving us a... Uh, Paul, I'm sorry, I don't know if Paul wrote the, the book of Hebrews. Uh, everybody thinks that that is the case, and, and so I'm going to slip once in a while and say the Apostle Paul. But um, listen, he's giving the writer of Hebrews is giving us a list of things that people do who do not have true faith in God. A person who does not have true faith in God is constantly living in the history of their sins and their dead works, and they're constantly trying to repent. We have psychiatric wards that are full of people who cannot forgive themselves for things that they have done or cannot forgive others for things that have been done to them. Jesus Christ is the answer for that, my friend, because he paid for every sin on the cross. And his forgiveness is the basis of our forgiveness. Forgiveness always has payment. That's why this modern thing of forgiveness is so foolish. I, I forgive you because I'm just such a good person that I can handle what you've done to me. Number one, I'm going to call you a liar because you're not. Somebody said, no one buries a hatchet without drawing specific instructions so they can find it again if ever they need it. Um, the simple truth of the matter is, as a human being, I do not have the depth of person nor the authority to forgive you for what you've done. Only God can do that. And the reason I can forgive others for what they have done to me to, be, to hurt me or to be injurious towards me is because Jesus Christ has forgiven me for every sin that I've ever sinned. That's forgiveness. And as we look here, if you're still trying this thing of laying those foundations, of trying to build that bridge to God, that is a false religion. That is, a, that is evidence that your salvation is not of the Bible type. If you're constantly one of those people that says, well, I've lost my faith, but I'm going to get it back again. You can't lose the faith that God has because it's that not of yourselves. Amen? If you're a person that's sitting there just wondering about all this baptism, maybe I need to be baptized by so-and-so, or maybe I need to take a trip to Israel and be baptized in the Jordan River like Jesus was. Well, if it's not through an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church, it's not Bible baptism. I don't care where it is. If you're baptized in the exact same spot, a lot of water run over the bridge in the last 2,000 years. Amen? It's not the spot. It's the word. And people get hung up on their baptism. They go to all kinds of extremes. In fact, I heard Harold Camping on the radio several years ago tell a woman she had a little child that had died in its first week of life. And she was weeping, and she said, Mr. Camping, is my baby in heaven? And he said, no, your baby's in hell because you didn't get your baby baptized. I almost threw a wrench through the radio. I was working in bus garage at that time. But it wouldn't have done the radio any good 
and it wouldn't have done Mr. Camping any good because he couldn't have felt it, and it wouldn't have done him any good if he had felt it. Listen, the Bible, and we don't have time tonight to go into it, but the Bible teaches us that until a child reaches the age where they can make their own decision to sin, they are safe in the price that was paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not one. There are some that teach that an unbaptized baby goes to a place of nothingness. Uh, I think they call it limbo or something like that. It's not to dance. Um, again, it's an invention of mankind. I actually had a guy here claiming to be some kind of scholar, and he said, one of the problems with our society is we don't believe in limbo. And I'm sitting here going, okay, and what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? And, and he said, well, people would just be more straight if they took care of their kids the way they're supposed to. I said, there's not one reference in the Bible. There's not one reference in the Apocrypha. It is a complete fabrication of the tradition of men to take parents and make them submit to the authority of the church by promising suffering for their baby if they don't pay the money to get their baby baptized. And it's not baptism anyway. It's absolutely insane what has gone on through the centuries with this doctrine of baptism. It is criminal. God's going to straighten that out one day. And, you know, we don't have, we spent the whole night, and I really didn't want to spend the whole night just talking about wrong things about baptism. But we've got to understand what baptism is. And what it is is what the Bible said. You go to the proper authority, Bible-believing church, and by the way, it doesn't have to have Baptist. Baptist on the name does not give it authority. It's obedience to the word that gives it authority. And so as that church is obedient to this book called the Bible, they have authority to baptize. And all it is is a public testimony of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just as salvation gets you into heaven, water baptism gets you into the local church. And we are striving to serve God together until we're assembled one day in heaven. And that's all baptism is. But there are people that spend their whole life arguing and fussing and trying to make something out of baptism that it isn't. It's one of the evidences of a false relationship, a false type of salvation. Now, we've got a couple more things. We've got the doctrine of laying on of hands, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, and the doctrine of eternal judgment. I hope it's not going to take us a week for each one of these, but we want to get a hold of what's going on here. Because what we're doing, what has been done, is you can take every, every major religion known to mankind and you can classify it in one of these faults that are listed here in the book of Hebrews, written somewhere around 75 or 80 A.D., I believe, maybe 60-something. Isn't it amazing? We start out in Hebrews chapter 1, and it says you cannot compare Jesus to the angels, and yet 
Many false religions compare him to the angels. You cannot compare Jesus to creation, and yet many false religions compare him to different parts of creation. Some make him just a man. Some make him the highest created being. I mean, there's just as many different variations on these things as our people to dream them up. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the very God of gods. He is God's revelation to mankind as he, as God, took upon him human flesh that he might be our eternal high priest. And if we get caught up in these things, and many people do, and many religions are built on the untruths that are being spoken about here. The, the religion of, of, of Buddhism is constantly relaying that foundation of repentance from dead works until you get good enough that you become a Buddha. It just goes on and on. And we could go through the religions, but we don't have time. What we need to do is live the truth, amen? Then we don't have to worry about all the other religions. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, we just ask that you would bring these truths home to us, that you would help us to understand. And Lord, that we would not be shocked when we find other people who believe different things about the different baptisms and all of these doctrines that they bring up again and again and again. Lord, we ask that you would just make us true to your word, that you would allow us to go past these preliminary things and serve you your way according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment.